Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Acts chapter 2. We're in this mini-series starting in verse 42 there in a Bible a series that I've entitled A Church That's Well or A Well Church. And we're using the word well, W-E-L-L, as a way to remind ourselves of four key ingredients that made the early church so strong. Uh, we're using the letters. It's an acronym. Even though we haven't we didn't use the word, the letters in order. We actually followed the biblical order. Notice with me in verse 42, it says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And continuing daily in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So even with all of their weaknesses and all of their challenges, the early church was strong and vibrant and growing. And they were making a huge difference in their world, or what we might say today, making a huge difference in their city, in their community, and beyond. That's the whole book of Acts is going to highlight how that first century church took the gospel around the world. Lives were being changed. Idolatry was being forsaken. They were using their physical goods to help physical needs. They were going about sharing the love of Jesus Christ. What's happening then is happening now. The Spirit of God moving through and using the Word of God, moving through and using the people of God to reach others. It's always people to people and the Spirit of God using us. And we want to be a part of that church. That's the church we want to be a part of. I know today as people look at the church, it looks very fragmented, very divisive. And in many ways, unfortunately, that's true. That would be an accurate observation. All sorts of denominations, all sorts of competition, all all sorts of stuff that Jesus never intended. There is one true church. You know that capital C? There's one true church. We all get to be a part of that one true church, but there's only one. It's the church that Jesus promised to build. He said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And even though there is fragmentation, even though there are different churches, I I do believe God has allowed that. I believe that God has allowed different churches in different cities and different flavors of worship and church because people are different, right? God God recognizes and, and he sees the variety of people and so he allows a variety of expressions within the one true church. And as we speak about us desiring to be a part of the one true church, I want to be careful that you don't misunderstand me. As a pastor, I'm not saying we are the only church, that we're the one true church. I'm not saying that we're the best church in town or we're the only church in town. Or I'm not even saying we're in competition with any other church because we're not. We just are who we are by the grace of God. 
God has started this church 22 years ago. We're following his lead, and we want to be a part of not something man has done, not some program we're following, not, not something that you can gather. We just want to be a part of the church. We want to be a part of our history right here. We want our history to go far beyond the Jesus movement, Calvary Chapel, go way back to the book of Acts. That's your history and mine. And in order to do that, we have to question things. We have to sit back and go, is this from the Lord? Is this what God wants us to do? Is this the right way to do it? Is this the heart of Jesus? And as we come back and let answer those questions, we then allow the Bible, as we ask them, to answer them for us. And we'll be surprised in the course corrections that God has for us. But I think we'll also be surprised in how well the Lord has led us and how well we followed his lead. Not perfect, but man, we've been following his lead, being used by him, and we've learned that the key parts, we've learned three of the four so far, the key parts in the early church, remember number one, they were a learning church. That's what it says here. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They were singularly focused to follow what Jesus taught. What Jesus taught and what he fulfilled in the Old Testament. They were a learning church. Secondly, they were also a loving church. As we learned that they were in fellowship, or that Greek word was koinonia, where they came together and they encouraged one another in the Lord. Fellowship. Then thirdly, we learned that they were a worshiping church. We learn that there in verse 42 that they were breaking bread together, which can mean sharing a meal and also taking communion. They were praying together. And then notice in verse 47, they were praising God together. They were a worshiping church. They worshiped God in spirit and in truth. Today, I want to add the last letter to the word well. It's the letter E, and that is that the early church was an evangelistic church. Very important to understand that their heart was to share the gospel and the good news with others. The word for evangelistic, the word evangel, is a word that speaks of a person with a message. It goes back to the times of kings, where kings would have a very precise, specific message, and it was the evangel that would take that message. So evangelism comes to us from that word. It's the taking of the message, and it fits so well with us as Christians, right? The king of kings has a very precise message to a culture that's lost, that needs to be saved, have their sins forgiven, and we are to carry that message very precisely and very carefully with love and care and concern for the world around us. Not only was the church evangelistic, but in their evangelism, I want you to understand this, the church was also very attractive. There was an attractiveness about the church in the lost and broken world. Why is that important? Because there was something about the believers that drew people to the message and to the person. There was something in the messengers that the message was received. They were attractive. The lost and dying world saw something among the believers that created an interest, a desire, and a natural curiosity. They were attractive. When there was offense in the early church, it was the message of the gospel, the message of the cross that brought offense, not the believers necessarily. Like you and I, we carry a message, and it can be offensive to people. It's not easy talking to people about failure and sin, But you know, you don't have to be offensive. As you carry the message, you and I, we don't have to be offensive. 
We don't have to be known by our latest political opinion. We don't have to be known by whatever cause we're into. I mean, that, that's really the building blocks of our message last time. Like, you don't, we don't need to be known by a cause. We need to be known by the cross of Jesus Christ. And there's an attractiveness, whether it's spoken or not, there's an attractiveness in the hope that my sins can be forgiven, that life can be something different than it is today. And there was an attractiveness about the church. Now, don't misunderstand this either. The attractiveness of the church wasn't because of compromise. A lot of times people, oh, I can't believe there's a, they're an attractional church. And, they're, and, and, you know, we're not interested in compromising the truth. I'm not interested in compromising the truth. I'm not interested in watering down the gospel. I'm not interested in all that. I want to speak the truth in love. But I would say this, instead of saying it in the negative, I'll say it in the positive. I am interested in finding new ways to share that really validates that I love the person in front of me. As hard as the message is going to be. That it, is, it does come from a position of being saved myself and being delivered myself. That when I'm sharing this, I'm not just doing it as some pastor or some guy that that's what you get paid to do, Ed. That's what you do. You just tell everybody they're sinners and you pound on the pulpit and you tell everybody, no, 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 no. No, that's actually not why I'm here. I'm here to introduce you to Jesus Christ who gave his life for you. The son of God, eternal. He left all of glory and he came and he took on the form of a human. Took the place of a servant. Died a sinless death. I mean, if you took the best person in here, like, like the just most moral, you stayed out of the most trouble, you don't even come close to the perfection of Jesus, as good as you might be. And then you take somebody like me that's way down low, and I don't come close. I, I, I share the gospel because I love you and I care for you. And yeah, we have to talk about things. There's just certain things that God says, that's not good for you. That's not the right way to act. That's not the right way to speak. Of course, there are things like that. But we want to find ways in attraction to draw out an understanding of the love of God and the goodness of God. And by now you know here at Calvary, whether if you've been here for a while, you know this. Perhaps not, and you'll hear it for the first time today. But the vision of our church, you know, the direction of our church, where God has really settled why he put us in the community, why we're here, is actually just one word. The vision of our church is just one word. It's evangelism. That's why we're here. Well, why else would we be here? Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So why would we be in a community? But to do and follow the leading and do what Jesus did himself. He sought to seek out the lost and share the good news that their sins can be forgiven. And with that, with the vision of evangelism comes a responsibility. And the responsibility is found in three words. We have a responsibility to win a person to Christ, to disciple them, to train them, that you become a learner and to grow in understanding, to be trained. That's why we do Bible study. You're being trained so that you then can win, disciple, then we send. That could be missionaries. That could be church planters. But you know what it is every time we gather? You know who we send every time we gather? You. Because in just a few moments, you're going to leave. You will then be sent out from this property as the church into the various nooks and crannies of this community that only you have uniquely been created to fill. And it's a beautiful thing. We have a heart to see other people get saved. Then once they get saved, we want to see them strengthened in the word, strengthened in following Jesus, and then we want to see them sent with the responsibility to see it happen all over again. 
So everything we do here has something to do with connecting someone else with the life-saving power and person of Jesus Christ. Even downstairs, we're trying to find new ways of communicating this. And not too long ago, I asked Pastor Michael to paint downstairs on the wall when you walk in that we will do anything short of sin to reach the lost. And we mean that. We, we want to do anything short of sin. We won't compromise, but we will be open to new ways and new things to reach the lost. We want to be a part of bringing people to Jesus. We want to fulfill what God has called us to do, to go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It just doesn't happen on the property. It happens everywhere through you and through me. Remember, we use this phrase in the church, like we'll go, when it comes to evangelism, we'll talk about, well, let's go witnessing, let's go witnessing. And the idea is you're going to go out and share the gospel. But, but, but evangelism is not you going witnessing. Evangelism is you are a witness. You're never going to go witnessing until you are a witness. Isn't that what Jesus taught us in Acts chapter 1? He taught us that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will become witnesses of me. That is witnessing, living out your life to the glory of God. And when I think of evangelism, I think of the importance of being witnesses, of just being ourselves in Christ. And when I think of evangelism, I think of a person. There's a person in the Bible that's just known for bringing people to Jesus. Turn over to John chapter 1 with me now. John chapter 1. The early church was healthy and strong because they were evangelistic. They were reaching the lost. It wasn't like a holy Christian country club where they were coming together, hanging out with each other, never interfacing with the world. No, they were very much involved in ministering to one another, but they were also very much involved in reaching their community in a variety of different ways. One of the main ways is bringing people to Jesus. Notice with me in John's Gospel, chapter 1, and I want to draw your attention to verse 35. Now, before we get into the text, I just want you to notice, notice the verse number 35. In many of your Bibles, if you're holding a New King James, in many of your Bibles, you'll notice the verse 35 is bold. It's bold. It's in bold uh, compared to the rest of the verse numbers. And the reason why is because whenever the verse numbers are bold, it's the beginning of a paragraph. Now, some of you don't have a bold number because they already broke down the passage in a paragraph form for you. But if you have a Bible like mine where you just have all the verses down all in one line, the translators put this in a bold for you so you can see where the paragraph starts. And you say, well, Ed, why is that important when reading the Bible? Well, anybody that's taken an English class in high school or college, you know that paragraphs give a full thought. So whenever you're looking at it, I really wanted to start in verse 40 and sometimes when I'll say that, I'll go, no, let's go back, let's go back. To get context, I try to go back to the beginning of the paragraph because that's where the new thought is, and that's the context. Whenever you're looking for context, start with the paragraph. What's before and what's after. So pick up with me in verse 35. Again, the next day John stood with two of his disciples, this is John the Baptist, and looking at Jesus, he walked. As he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? Verse 39. He said to them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying, and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. 
one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. If you like to write in your Bible, we'll circle Andrew here. Just circle his name. One of them that was following was Andrew, and he's known as Simon Peter's brother. Then in verse 41, it says, he found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And then this is the second thing I want you to circle in verse 42, the whole first sentence. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Andrew is often known in the scripture. We don't know a lot about him, but what we do know is that he was bringing people to Jesus. That's how God chose to use him. Here we have the example of him bringing his brother, which is super significant. I am so grateful Andrew went after his brother and brought him to Jesus because now we have the books of Peter. We have everything about Peter's life to encourage us and strengthen us in following Christ. And he went, and I know the hardest people to reach is often our family, uh, because Jesus said, a prophet's not without honor except in his own home, but that didn't matter to Andrew. Hey, I'm going to go share with my brother. He's the one that needs to hear it first. And you notice with Andrew, the immediate move of the Holy Spirit upon his life was to go and bring other people to Jesus. That was the immediate move. We see someone get saved, they get excited, then they tell someone else. That's natural evangelism. You're saved, you're excited about being saved, you want to tell other people that you know about the excitement that has come to your life. And I just love this. You take Andrew, you take Andrew in verse 40, you take, he brought him to Jesus in verse 42, and you just draw a line across and go, man, that is, I want to be like Andrew. Andrew is so significant for us that from time to time over the years, when we're coming up on Easter or we're coming up on Christmas, a few weeks before services, we'll hand out flyers and we call it like something like Project Andrew. We got the idea from Billy Graham Association. And, and the whole idea is, is that we prep ourselves and prepare ourselves to be like Andrew and we put a bunch of names on there and we start praying for people and we invite them to services. Because that's what Andrew did. That's one way to bring people to, to Christ. You invite them to church. Another way you can connect them to the radio and say, hey, just listen to this. Listen to this, guy. That's where I go to church. And then the radio is kind of cool because people can listen to the radio and never tell you they're doing it. Uh, and they can keep going and keep going and pretend that they're not connecting. I'm sure there's people listening right now. They're listening to the radio and go, oh, no, I got found out. Actually, I can't see you, so I don't know. You're, but I'm glad you're listening because I know you're curious. And I know you live with the weight of being disconnected from God. And, and I'm, I'm glad that's a great way to do it. Here, one thing that we've tried to do here at Calvary over the years is not only provide the training. I mean, we've got a brother in the church. His name is Dale. He loves to share the gospel. He's retired now. So what does he do? He goes out virtually every day and shares the gospel. That's what, he's, that's what he likes to do. And he provides evangelism training here. And I know this. I, I know if I asked Dale, hey, Dale, what if the whole church wanted to take the class? He would tell me, I need a bigger room. And we would open up the sanctuary. And he would train every single one of you how to share the gospel in your own personality, your own care, if you wanted it. If you wanted it. And not only do we provide the training, but we provide the tools. Over the years, we've been asked, you know, Ed, why do you do... Uh, sweatshirts and why do you do beanies and why do you do t-shirts and why do you do cards and why do you do bumper stickers and license plate frames and pens and everything else we can put the church's name on why do we do that and I'll tell you why to start a conversation 
to start a conversation. Do you know when, when it comes to evangelism, there's a lot of fear involved with sharing the gospel. Unfortunately, but true. Basically, when you have two people together, there are two people dealing with fear. Of course, the first person is probably you, the believer. You just don't know what to say. You don't know how to start the conversation. And so you're there going, I don't know what to do, and I don't know what to say, and I think I'll just talk about football. And you talk about football. And I don't know, we'll just talk about something else. And next time, next time, next time, and there you're afraid. You know who the other scared person is in that conversation? The person that's standing with you going, oh, I know they're a Christian. I hope they don't tell me anything about Jesus. I don't want to hear anything about Jesus. And you got two people here never opening the topic. And then you walk in with a sweatshirt and somebody goes, hey, hey what, what is Calvary? I don't even know. What is that? And they're at, like, that's an open door. You go, oh, that's where I go to church. Oh, you go to church? And then you're like, oh, what do I say next? And you just start answering, like, yeah, I go to church. You should come with me. You don't even have to explain anything to them. You don't even have to just, yeah, just come with me one day. I'll get you a sweatshirt too, you know, <laughs> whatever. We can have a coffee together. You know, why do we have resurrection coffee downstairs in the building? Because that gets them closer and closer. And even if they don't want to come up here, because it's like they're downstairs right now. Maybe now that's maybe you. You don't want to come up here. We got you anyway, huh? Because the TVs came on and you're right there. Because we love you. And, and so whether it's a shirt or a pen, you know, you got this, you got a pen here and you're giving it away and you're, somebody goes, well, what's this all about? Oh, I don't know. It's just a pen I found. I don't know. I want to give you this. Here, here, take the pen. I don't want to talk about it. Like nobody, like, like it, it puts you in a position where you're presenting yourself, and when you present, your Holy Spirit will use you. And it's not as weird as you think. It's not as awkward as you think. So that's just why I go to church. Well, what kind of church is it? It's a great church. Well, what is, is the pastor boring sometimes? <laughs> what about the music? Well, you know, just come and see. Come and see. Just come. You know what happens when we start talking about evangelism, though? It's shirts and all that stuff. That's all fun. But, you know, when we start talking about evangelism, I'll tell you what I hear more often. It's not fear. It's like, oh, I don't have the gift of evangelism. And maybe you feel that way. I don't have the gift of evangelism. You shut me down already. You don't even want to go any further because you think this message doesn't apply to you. But let, let, me, let me rephrase that for you. So if you're telling me, Ed, hey, Ed, I don't have the gift of evangelism, what do you expect me to say? Okay, don't share the gospel then. Is that what you want me to say? Oh, don't tell anybody ever in your whole life about Jesus. Or you don't have the gift of evangelism. No, if you don't have the gift of evangelism, then you can do what Paul told Timothy. Do the work of an evangelism. Learn how to share. Learn the basics. Get somebody's eyes on the Lord. Tell them your testimony. I mean, the story of your life is a powerful one. Whether you were born into a Christian home and you got this, this whole life of people in your life that have been saved or you got saved later in life, like the reality is, is evangelism is for all of us. It's not just for a pastor. Do the work of evangelism. Hey, I know some people have, they're, they're, they're in a position where they are, it's much easier for them to talk to people. I think of some of you ladies here, men, salespeople. Like your salespeople, it's just natural for you to talk to people. And so it makes it natural when you talk about evangelism. That's great. I think of some of the customer service reps that are here. It's just natural. You're always talking to people. So you extroverted personalities, just always talking. And then there's that spiritual gifting and it's just easier for you. And we say, amen. I'm not like that. Evangelism and talking to strangers is hard for me, which is ironic that God would put me in the pulpit. They put me in such a position where I'd be talking to people I don't know all the time. 
And, and it requires me to trust in the Lord. It requires me to die to myself. It requires me to walk in the spirit. It requires me to, to share. You know, it's much easier to say things up here because I know you guys. You're our family. It's this is a family meeting. This is great. But you know, I don't live in this pulpit, right? I don't stay here all the time. I go into the world just like you do. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, I have a heart for the lost because I was the lost and now I'm found. And so it's not like, oh, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Okay, it's fine. You don't have to have it. You can still tell people about Jesus. And you can still bring them. I mean, think of all that Andrew did. He just didn't bring his brother. You know, in John chapter 6, there were all those hungry people. And then there's, this kid was found with bread and fish. Remember that story? Guess who brought him to Jesus? Andrew. And how about the time? How about the time there were those Greek, those Gentiles, known as Greeks there, they, they were asking about and wanting to find out about Jesus. And, and we actually used that verse in, in part of a direction of our church, that verse, John 12, 21, we wish to see Jesus. Those guys wanted to see Jesus. Guess who brought him? Andrew. And then Peter. Who brought Peter? We know Andrew brought Peter. It's his brother. I mean, why wouldn't you tell your brother about Jesus or your sister or your neighbor, your boss, the people that are closest to you. Yes. And I am so grateful that he brought Andrew. Because and, I'm so grateful Andrew brought Peter because Peter is so much like us. Like Peter getting saved, not only has he blessed us, not only is we, not too long ago, we studied both of his letters. We studied the letters of Pastor Peter. This guy, Peter, becomes a pastor. And God uses him greatly. But Pastor Peter had his problems, didn't he? Peter slept when he should have been praying. I mean, you look at Peter's life, he, he swung his sword, cut a guy's ear off, Pastor Peter did. You know, we read the Bible like it doesn't apply today, but can you imagine waking up in the morning, KDVR, Fox 31, CBS 4, they're right, the number one story is, hey, Pastor got arrested at 16th Street Mall because he's walking around with a sword and cut a guy's ear off. Well, where's he from? You hear a pastor, oh, he's from Calvary Church. It's just Roy out there with his sword again. And you're like, what, is, what, is, what kind of pastors do we have? Pastors like Peter, I guess. Like Peter, like, he was impetuous. But he wasn't like reckless. He was trying to protect his friend. I mean, they were going after Jesus. So you know what the sword tells us? The sword tells us he was willing to act out on his loyalty and his commitment to Jesus. Yeah, he did it wrong. But how many of us have had the right motives but did the wrong thing? I mean, that's the story of our lives. Fortunately, we're not walking around with swords or anything, but man, that, that's a story of our lives. We got the right heart. You know, that's something we always say, oh, you know, I got the right heart. I know, I don't see your heart though, bro. I only see your actions. And yet God changed this man. He became the Peter that we know. He would often speak when he should have listened. He, de he even denied Jesus. I mean, some of you have been in that position where you backslid, you went back. Maybe you're backsliding right now and you're living in denial of Jesus. Well, so did Peter. And when he repented, he came back. And you need to come back. It's not good to deny the Lord. It's going to wreck you. It's going to wreck everybody that loves you. You need to repent and come back. God is faithful. And the one thing about Peter and Andrew, Andrew didn't even know this was going to happen, but the thing that Andrew getting his brother and bringing him that's encouraging me is, is it shows that God sees things in us that we don't see ourselves. Like, I wonder how many of us would have just passed over Peter. Nah, not Pastor Mateo. Nah, 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 that's uh, not that guy. But that's not the heart of Jesus. 
The heart of Jesus is not to look at where we failed and identify ourselves by our failure, but rather to identify ourselves by his power and his strength and his resurrection power, his renewal, his restoration of what's been lost. God looks at what we can become. Remember what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, the Lord told Samuel when he was picking uh, a brother there, picking a young man, he says, don't look at his appearance, the oldest son of Jesse. He said, don't look at his appearance or his physical stature because I've refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Aren't you grateful for that? (laughs) I am. Because he can then do things with us that we would never allow ourselves to be a part of. God looks at what we can become in him, not not what we are alone in our sin. And so as Peter makes mistakes, God restores him through repentance. The early church was filled with people like Andrew. People like you and me that just care for people's souls. It made me start thinking about a brother by the name, a friend, he's a brother now, by the name of John. You know, John was a part of our little party crew in high school. And I mean, we were tight, party, trouble all the time. And then all of a sudden, I think it was either 10th or 11th grade, John disappeared. He didn't leave the city, he didn't leave the school, but we never saw him. Like he was nowhere around. And we might see him in class, and that was it. He just stopped hanging around with us, stopped partying with us, and he moved on to something else. Why? Because the brother got saved right in high school. And we kind of knew he was attending church and being involved in things, but you know, he was still partying with us, and we just figured out, hey, you can go to church and party with us, no, no big deal. But then he disappeared out of the, just gone. And we never saw him, didn't party with him anymore. And we go on with our lives and our crew, you know, the, some come, some go, we go on with our crew. And then my, and another guy by the name of Jack, he gets into some kind of concern, trouble and things, and he's thinking about, man, I think I need to reconsider my life. What did he do? He called up John and asked him, hey, John, what's going on? What's this church you're a part of? And John invites him to church. Jack gets saved. And I'm sure Jack's listening to a Bible study very similar like this. And the pastor says, okay, guys, this is now. You're saved. You need to go share with the worst sinner that you can possibly think of. And then my phone rang. And Jack invited himself over to my house. And, you know, we're fast forwarding a few years. It's a process of years here. And he comes over to my house. Uh, He's sharing the gospel with Marie. Marie and I are married, but we're not saved. I don't want anything to do with him or church or anything. And so he invites us. I go, nah, bro, I'm not interested in church. But, you know, God is very precise on who he brings into your life. And he knew me. And the way he invited me, because he knew I was a critic and a skeptic and a smart aleck, the way that he invited me was, well, Ed, why don't you just come and check it out and you can tell me what you think. Oh, I'll come and check it out, all right? And I would love to tell you what I think because I think you're... You know, you fill in the blanks. So I did check it out. And guess what? I went to examine that church and the Holy Spirit examined me and did a work in my life. And so I was talking to John recently. Yes, we rejoiced. I was talking to John yet recently because he had surgery. We've reconnected. Uh, we've, been, you know, we've been connected ever since we got saved. So we, we re, I reconnected with John just recently. He, I didn't just think of John too. John, if you're watching, this is amazing. He's a school teacher now. Like, it's amazing what God has taken us. So he's, he is influencing the next generation. John, if you knew John, 
only God can make John a teacher. So it was awesome. So he had major surgery, reached out to me. I've been praying with him and connecting with him. And we were just talking, you know, he was, somehow he was talking about, uh, I sent him a book on fear because, you know, the book we did, I sent him a gift because he's a little afraid with the surgery and just wanted to minister to him. And then he, he wrote back like, hey man, isn't it amazing what God's doing in Colorado? And I said, yeah, what God's doing in Colorado is because of you, John. It's because of you. It's because of your decision. I mean, and I told him, I said, man, if Christianity was like Amway, look at your downline, man. <laughs> like you just shared, and he didn't go into ministry. He's full-time public school teacher. God's using him. He's got a family, and he's got a circle of people he's influencing, but that's where God called him. And then on to Jack, and Jack went off in another direction. He's doing Little League baseball and coaching, and, and it's amazing because these, these stories are only the Lord could do this. So not too long ago, I got a picture from Jose of a U-Haul truck filled with toys, filled with toys. You know where those toys came from? My buddy Jack did a gathering for the Orange County Little League, whatever. He said, bring all your toys because we're going to donate them. So there's a picture of Jose, who I just met in the last few years, and Jack sitting in the back of this truck filled with toys because all the way behind the scenes, God put it on Jack's heart to do this big thing where all the parents and everybody brings their toys in and then he dries them all down and now all behind the scenes, God is doing that kind of stuff. You think of all the stories that are connected to your life. You think, well, I'm just John. Yeah, you're just John. And who knows what you're going to start? Who knows and you respond like, well, Ed, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Well, then miss out. I don't, miss out. Don't get involved. Don't share the gospel with anyone ever again. And reap the consequences of that. Like, you don't, it's not reserved for me. And even if it was reserved for me, like I told you, it doesn't come naturally for me. I think in my realm, I think of a guy like Greg Laurie, you know, that guy, he's just natural. He just, he just stands here and opens his eyes and people get saved. He's just a, nat God has gifted that brother. I'm not like that. But that doesn't mean that I don't then neglect to tell you about the love of God in your life. That Jesus died to forgive you of your sins. And if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You could be, just think about this, you could be the generational change for your entire family. You. You could make the whole, your, you could turn the course of your whole family you could bring influence in a workplace that's never had the influence of Christ before you. And I was thinking just all the, the different stories that we could go through. You know, the stories of, of I, I think of a man by the name of Tom Stipe, Pastor Tom Stipe. He was a very, very prominent pastor here in Colorado. His church, Crossroads Church of Denver, is up in Arvada. He was the very first or second Calvary Chapel in Colorado. He moved out back in the 70s to come and plant a church here. When I moved here in the 90s, the church was thriving and God was doing a great thing, Tom Stipe. Well, before he moved here, he was a Methodist pastor, kind of, sort of, maybe saved. He wasn't sure. He was invited to this Calvary Chapel. He was born again at Calvary Chapel. Then he came on staff with Calvary Chapel and he began to teach their Friday night concerts outreaches. That's what he did, Friday night concerts. So he would preach the gospel and people would get saved, preach the gospel, people would get saved. On one evening, he was preaching the gospel and there wasn't that big of a response. The response was so small that Tom was discouraged because he was used to a lot of people responding. This evening, not so much. 
But he was faithful. He shared. He led them in a prayer to receive the Lord. They got saved. One of those guys born again, his name, Gino Geraci. Gino Geraci gets saved at a concert in Costa Mesa. Well, you know, Gino's into drugs and, and metaphysics and all kinds of weird stuff with his buddy and his roommate. So what does Gino do? Just like here with Andrew. He gets saved. He gets excited. Going to tell people about Jesus. He goes home and he shares with his roommate all that's happened. Kind of softened up his heart. What, what's going on? Didn't really get saved at that point, but caused him to start thinking. Not going to party with him anymore. And that man, his roommate, started watching TV one night. And guess who popped on? Billy Graham. And as Billy Graham's giving the message and giving the invitation, that guy with the softening of Gino, bringing the gospel back in, he gets saved. He gets saved, starts connecting with Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, starts serving there. And then he decides, the Lord is speaking to his heart. He says, you know what? I think God wants me to plant a church. He picks up his small little family in his car and he drives Albuquerque, New Mexico. Tom Stipe shares with a small group, leaves the room discouraged, Gino Geraci gets saved, takes the gospel home, Skip Heitzig gets saved, moves to Albuquerque, and you think about the downline from Tom Stipe and all the ministry that's happened. Tom is in the presence of the Lord right now, so he knows now of all the work that God did through his life. And to think, we would walk away from something so bummed out and so discouraged, but the reality is, is that God uses faithfulness. And we don't know what he's going to do. We don't know how he's going to do it. We don't know when he's going to do it. We just know he will. And you think about this little group in the book of Acts. They couldn't see 2,000 years future. If you told them, oh, in 2,000 years, there's going to be churches all over the world because of your... No, they did. They're not seeing 2,000 years in the future. They just see the person in front of them, the city where they live. They're open to the Holy Spirit to obey him. Says, okay, I want you guys to leave now. And then the ones that don't want to leave, I'm going to bring persecution into the city, so you must leave. I'm, I'm going to do things. You don't want to cooperate with me. I'll arrange, God says, the circumstances where you will cooperate because God's will will be accomplished in our lives. It's always better to cooperate, but man, if you don't want to cooperate, God will make it happen. And there's story after story after story, even in your own life, of how you came to faith. I mean, if you come back to Acts real quick here, notice the church, the church, as, as the church grows, the church wasn't preoccupied with themselves. They didn't have some just holy huddle where it's okay, let's come together. It's all about us, only our church and our Christian. We're Christians and don't worry about the world. The, no, they were, they encouraged one another, then they left. They encouraged one another, then they left. And that's where the real meat of the gospel is, is when you do it, and I, I never really met another believer that didn't love the gospel. I haven't met one yet because the gospel saved their lives. I, I was saved, so I, I love the gospel. I love the work of Christ. And we're called to spread the gospel. And a healthy church is one that's worshiping, one that's evangelistic, one that is learning and loving, continuing steadfastly. Continuing steadfastly. With continual evangelism, comes continual conversions. How do we know? Ed, you, you, you may still be there and go, Ed, how do you know they were so evangelistic? I don't see that in the text. Well, let me show you so you can see it. It says right here at the end in verse 47, they were praising God. They had favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. 
In order for people to be added daily, the gospel needs to be in their hearts and minds. And how did he do that? He already showed us by Peter preaching at the day of Pentecost. How will they hear in Romans chapter 9 unless a preacher comes? You have the gospel of peace on your feet according to Ephesians as part of the spiritual armor of God. You know, when you share the gospel, it encourages you. When somebody gets saved, you're, you're blown away. You're like, this is amazing. We get these questions all the time. Ed, why don't we see the miraculous? Why don't we see the miraculous? The miraculous is all around you if you just share the gospel. You want to see miracles? Watch somebody go from darkness to light right in front of you. Like right there. Like it's happening. You, you, that, that is the sign and wonder that is so neglected today by, by the church. Man, we, we need to remember that any church that we're a part of, a, a church that's healthy, a church that is strong and making a difference in, in their community, in their context, is a messy church. You know that, right? It's a messy church. I don't know any other way. It's kind of the popular word today, but it's a great one. I don't know any other way to describe it. It's going to be filled with difficulty and sin. People are, like a messy church is a healthy church because people are dealing with sin. They're talking about it. They're wrestling with it. it. It's surfacing. They're repenting from it. And so, yeah, there's going to be a lot of mess, a lot of difficulty. It's like, like the church isn't this antiseptic museum of people that are perfect and never have any problems. It's not filled. A healthy church is not one that looks down their nose at people. But rather we take the position of a servant like Jesus did. Probably the best position that Jesus took as a servant was when he washed the disciples' feet. Because he was in a position to look up at them not down at them. And when we begin to take the posture of the servant in our community, we start looking up at people that need him so greatly. And we start sharing with them that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And that God will begin to work on those things in your life. He'll begin to, you don't need us to be telling you about it. If you read your Bible and pray, God will be talking to you all the time about areas of your life, of how he loves you and cares for you and wants you to grow just like any good parent would. Next time, we'll finish up this little series looking at the mindset of the commitment that you need to make, church. It's a commitment that you've already made, but God is going to keep reminding you. When it says they continued steadfastly, a, a good way of describing that phrase is this is what they did. And when you ask yourself the question about you, what would people say about you? This is what you do. This is who you are. If we'll just get beyond being embarrassed of the gospel and we'll get beyond being embarrassed as Christians and we'll get beyond having all these causes and oh yes, we're gonna fight for this. Why don't you fight for the souls of men? Go to your knees and fight for your neighbor. Nobody cares about your opinion. Your opinion's gonna change in two years anyway. People care about what's going on in their own life. And you're the Christian on the block. You're the Christian at work. Yeah, you get a hard time for it. Yeah, you got written up for it. Yeah, you, yes. But you're going to learn how to be a loving vessel for the gospel. And if you're open and you start praying this way, you're going to start bringing people to Jesus. You're going to bring them to church. You're going to bring them to radio. You're going to bring them to the body. You're going to get them a gift. You're going to just reach out. You're not going to worry about the content. You don't need a fear man. You're going to learn how to fear God and respect and honor Him. And that's the pattern of the early church. That's what's going to be. And, and you're going to see the rest of the 
book of Acts, it's hard, it's challenging. They feed warfare, they make mistakes, but that is the book of Acts. It's where your spiritual growth comes. And I was just thinking how thankful I am to be a part of this fellowship, this community, this city, the, the, the opportunities that God has laid before us, the open doors that no man can close. You know, opportunities abound in this city. And God has you here for a purpose. And I pray that we would step into it with great confidence and boldness of the Holy Spirit. So Father, thank you for guys like John and Jack that would bring, be faithful in their little context so that I would be saved. Not even anything after that, but just, God, you would care so much for me that you would start the process with John. And I'm sure I don't even know the backstory in John's life and where it started with him. And then you'd bring it to Jack and you'd have me and Jack be on the, live on the same street and play on the same little league team when we're eight years old. It's unbelievable how you have things arranged in our lives. So Father, we pray that you would use us and we'd be more usable for your kingdom. That we'd live out these characteristics, not like a list to follow, but just living out, walking by the Spirit. Living out that call to surrender, to die to ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.